want to give a special shout out to all of our sponsors here at Old Sea Sports Network, Sterling Pig Brewery, Neshemity Creek Brewing Company, Norse Beards, Lugaroo, Righteous Felon, Craft Jerky, Fanatics, Buffalo Bio Brewing Company, and Iceworks. All their links are in the description below. Thanks again. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Flyers Alley, brought to you by Old City Sports Network. It's sponsored by Sterling Pig Brewery in Media, Pennsylvania. Uh, go to www.sterlingpig.com. Check out all their awesome beers. We have a special guest uh, in the house tonight in the alley. Uh, please welcome former Flyer, Phantom, and Toronto Maple Leaf left wing and co-host of the Leafs Morning Take podcast, Jay Rosehill. What's going on, boys? What's going on, Jay? How you doing? I'm good. That intro jacked me up. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I love that intro. <laughs> it's like I a cross that. between Youngblood and Top Gun or something. I was ready to go through a wall there. You uh, you get your uh, you get your camera on, or are you gonna stay off? Or no, I'll go on. I uh, I didn't touch anything from when we were saying hi in the uh, in the intro there. Da, 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 da. I think I see a button maybe that looks good. Uh-oh, here we go. Do we got something? Everything. The technology is out of control. Dude. Something wants to happen. I think it's on my other camera, my bad one. That's okay. That's all good. There he is. There he is. Um, uh, yeah, man. thanks so much for coming in, man. Thanks for giving us the time. Um, Anthony, I mean, we've been talking about this for a little bit. Since me and Anthony got together, your name, your name's been coming up. Uh, yeah. I, we, it's kind of weird saying that... Uh, me and you were actually the same age, which is was kind of weird. Me saying I grew up watching you, but at the same time, like the name was in the household when you were on the Flyers, man. It just was Jay Rose Hill, Paul Bissonette fight, all that. You know, it's just it, it's so glad. I'm so glad to have you in here. Oh, that's too cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, people are you know would say that or like I was uh I was on something on my show this morning. The guy had watched me and you know, when he was young or whatever. And I'm like, man, these, these, you know, kids are getting younger and younger, but when you follow hockey, you know, from the time you're, whether you're 10 or 24 or whatever, you, uh, you're watching the game and then you kind of grow up with the the guys that you're watching. It seems like it's kind of funny to run into those people right now. It, uh, it's kind of cool. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts because I I we heard on I heard on Nasty Knuckles the other day that uh you know you weren't really on social media too much and then uh or was your your Leaf show I was listening to either one one of those two the other day and they were saying you weren't on social media and when we started Flyers Island like five years ago you were like the first person I went searching for uh I ended up getting Frank Bialowis who's an absolute beauty nice and, uh, it, it's it just went on from there but I'm glad you got on social media glad you got that podcast or you know you probably wouldn't be here. So. Yeah, it's fun. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. How, how are you liking the world of media so far? Was it a tough adjustment from you for you to like go from the ice right into a media role? Um, it wasn't too bad. I, I was looking to do something, uh, not necessarily in media, but uh, just looking to do something else and put my energy into something. So when that came uh, came by my my radar, I just kind of uh, just jumped into it. And I don't know, I've never mind just bullshitting or whatever. At, at the beginning, you're a little nervous mm -hmm. and thinking too much about what you say and stuff like that. And then, you know, after you do it, you know, we do it five times a week. So you do it a couple of times, it seems like you jump right into it and just give her. But I'm definitely enjoying it. Uh, figuring Twitter out a little bit. It's kind of funny just how like, I don't know what the hell it's yeah I don't know it's a different world but sometimes it's awesome sometimes it's not but uh good way to get some information and stuff and, and see what's going on and it's it's fun to interact with uh with people so far but I imagine when you get uh get to the level of some people out there it just becomes an absolute insanity world so hoping I don't get to that point <laughs> yeah only the classiest group of people on Twitter like you'll you'll never get any you know death threats or anything like that on a daily basis like walking into Walmart. On their computers. Yep. Class, class, class. Yeah, I, I, I remember we we getting we had uh we were on Facebook exclusively when we first started, and that was a, that was a trip. And then we get on the Twitter, and I was like, wow, like this is a whole other ball game. Getting the doors <laughs> blown off me. I thought I had a good take, and it just was absolute shit apparently. So, <laughs> totally. Hey. Um, real quick, I uh, just uh tell people what you've been up to after uh after your career with hockey. Yeah, I stopped playing hockey. Um few years back there and uh just was ready to be done kind of thing and um was lucky enough to finish off uh overseas there in the uk and um had a couple of really fun years and just decided to shut her down with my my wife and family we were kind of getting to the end of the the time where it was you know the body's getting banged up and the kids are wanting to miss their friends and packing up a family twice a year was was getting to be a lot right so uh decided about christmas time my last year that that would be that that would be it so got to kind of savor everything for the last little while and in the meantime i applied to the calgary fire department uh which was something that was on my radar for quite a few years for after hockey and uh the timing just worked out where uh you know shortly after i retired there i, I got a job with with calgary fire and that's kind of a whole new career in itself that has a lot of like uh parallels to being on a hockey team and stuff like that so it was a a nice transition for me. I didn't go through that tough time where a lot of guys retire from hockey. They don't know what the hell to do. And they, they're kind of lost. And a lot of guys end up actually having a pretty tough time. So um, I was just happy and fortunate that it didn't uh, go that way for me. And I'm, I'm doing that job now, which is, which is pretty awesome so far. Yeah, you mentioned the whole thing about going from hockey to the fire department. It almost seems like you, you're staying in that locker room team atmosphere, right? Because you have mm -hmm. all your what do you call them your crewmates and stuff like that for your fire department you're always with them right yeah totally like and we do 24-hour shifts now so you're with them for you know a long time and 
Um, I mean, you're just, you're always bullshitting with each other and, and throwing shade and, and chirping each other and making each other laugh and saying stuff you shouldn't be saying. And, and you build that rapport. And then, uh, you know, then when you go on calls and you're, you know, there's a, a guy that's down in his house and he's having a heart attack or he's something's going on and you got to start doing CPR and everyone's got to be working together and trusting each other. And, you know, you go into a house that's, you know, you can't see anything and you're trying to figure out where the fire is and, um, you need those guys that are around you to, you know, be good dudes and you need to get along and you need to trust each other. So you build that up so quick. And, um, especially when you get to stay in one place and you have a crew that gets along, it's, it's totally like a locker room, man. And that, uh, I think that was part of why it was kind of an easy adjustment for me. Now, do you guys have the fire department versus police, like hockey games, kind of like they have in New York city? Uh, kind of there's like, we go to the world police games and stuff like that. And I, I got on right around, uh, like when COVID was kind of hitting and whatnot. So they kind of shut that down. I was signed up for a tournament to play, but there's definitely that. I don't know if it's as big as, uh, FDNY and, and NYFD when they're playing each other, but, uh, that definitely does go on. But I think for the most part, I haven't done it. Um, but I think it's pretty cordial, but you know how it is with playing shinny and whatnot. I think tempers flare no matter what you're doing all the time. What, um, so growing up, what, I mean, what, what drew you to hockey really? I mean, what was, you know, I played for a little bit, very, very short stint, very short stint. Um, yeah. but, uh, what, what just drew you to the game? I mean, you, uh, I know you were in, uh, played a little bit of college. Yeah. Yeah. Played a little bit like when I was 19. Um, but like growing up being, you know, my brother probably started playing hockey. He's a couple years older than me when, I don't know, it's just a thing you do. Like grew up in a small town. Like, I don't know if it was 5,000 people when I, when I grew up, it's bigger now, but at the time it's a small town and there's not a hell of a lot to do in the winter time. And, you know, my dad would blow the snow off of our pond and on a nice day when a Chinook rolls in or whatever, and it's plus three or whatever, you know, you go down there and light a fire and, and everyone's skating around and you just learn how to do that. And that's where I learned to skate. And then once my brother went and organized hockey, you know, I had to do everything that he did. Just, I don't even remember it just by default, like, yep, I'm doing that as well. And yes, your parents steer you in the direction. And I just never stopped playing. It was, it was weird. Cause it was always your, I, it was always what you did. Like I was always thinking, man, if I ever stop playing, like, I don't know what it's like not to play hockey. I don't know what it's like to start a winter where I don't, I'm not trying out for a team or, or moving up a level or whatever. And then as time goes on, you're moving to the States and you're signing a contract and you have these new things going on. It just was never ending. So I'm like, man, this is going to be a big change when, when you don't do that all of a sudden, but, uh, yeah, it just kind of becomes your identity around here. And, uh, just, I don't know, man, just what you did in a small town. It's, uh, it's Canada. And I just was lucky enough to just keep on playing for, for quite a while. Well, who, uh, who, who, who you're modeling your game after? Who, who, who are you watching as you're growing up? Uh, like Wendell Clark and Brendan Shanahan. Those guys were, uh, were dudes that I just respected the fact that they, like, they're sick players and like first round type and Hall of Fame guys and like that type of player, but they don't play like, uh, they don't play soft. They, they could easily get away with playing soft where a guy like me, like, you're not, you, I kind of had to play that way where some guys that don't have to play that way and do it anyway, I just respect the hell out of it. And I just think like Shani and, and Wendell Clark were like the epitome of that. So I like them a lot. And, and then just being a flames fan growing up, uh, Theron Fleury was like the dude I, I thought was so sick. I met my first NHL game. I went down and saw 
warm up and I remember him standing there and he's blowing bubble gum and he's got his hair slicked right back and he's got no bucket and warm up. And I was just like, that is so fucking sick, man. I was, I just thought it was so wicked. So my first game pro, I actually didn't even wear a, a helmet and warm up. And some of the veterans were like, are you kidding me, buddy? Like you're 20. And I was like, if I could, I always wanted to do that. So, uh, that was thanks to Theo, I think. Well, is that you? Is that sorry? The real quick. Uh, is no, that you? Gr you growing up throwing throwing down in the schoolyard though? Is that something that uh you just no. you came into doing, or did, was it something that you thought that you just needed to adapt to 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 move? Yeah, on? It was just hockey. I I was in maybe one one punch each on the soccer field growing up. Uh, you know, a couple of things here and there, little hiccups outside the bar as a teenager. But I was not fighting out outside of the rink by any stretch. Um, just your normal upbringing was always trying to avoid that or keep the peace when guys are getting into it at the bar like hey hey well you know you go your way I, I was never really aggressive that way but when hockey was on it was like i don't know i think we just every every christmas we me and my brother and dad would put on the rock'em sock'em don cherry uh tapes and we would just love the big hits and how eric lindros was just the dirtiest bastard and so big and so much better than everybody else and we'd just watch him and and just that 90s hockey, man, I'd watch that. And I would, once I was allowed to play hit hockey in peewee, I was more concerned with laying the big hit than I was scoring the goal. That's for sure. And, you know, we had those Douglas shoulder pads that I'm pretty sure they were like football shoulder pads and there's plastic like all over them. And when you'd fucking hit a guy, it would just sound like, it would just, it would reverberate through the rafters and everyone would go bananas. And all we were talking about after the game was the biggest hit. No one gave a shit about the score and the goals. And I just think I took that to heart a little bit too much uh, more than others. But um, really, it was when I switched to playing forward. Uh, my third year pro was when I really started to actually get the identity of, of I guess, having the label as the tough guy or, or whatever. So, yeah, I kind of it wasn't something I planned or just came up just fighting like a crazy maniac by any stretch. Well, Jesse and I, we were talking, like he said earlier, uh, for a while trying to get you on. And then we were texting this week that, okay, this interview's coming. And Jesse said, you're going to love him. He's a beauty. It's going to be great. Right on cue, because I saw you do that a few seconds ago. Is a little red wine on a Wednesday? Oh, a little vino. Just, yeah, got, out of like the, just got out of the rink coaching uh, U11. And it's like dark at 4.30. Yep. And you get hunkered in at this time of the year. Yeah, you end up cracking the wine uh, beauty a little move. more. I wanted to compliment you on like... that. I like it. <laughs> what um what would you say you know when you made your way through the ranks was there one fighter that you know you always were kind of like all right like this is where i got to put everything in not i don't want to say that you feared but really had uh had, had your attention yeah like frick there's so many dude like especially in the nhl at that level the the guy is smart and and experienced and tough and strong and well-trained and in shape and he's really good on his skates you know you're not just gonna go toss some goon around and mop the floor with him at that level so all those guys you got to be prepared for and in the american league there is some big tough boys that you might not have heard as much of like household names or whatever because they they made out of just skated particularly well enough to play in the nhl or whatever the case was but there's some tough guys down there and some guys that like really like love fighting and and are ready to like they like just relish it they would do it twice three times a game every game like it's like my god like what what are these guys all about so like those guys you definitely pay attention to but i don't know everyone asks that question i mean 
at that point you're bare knuckle fighting like any one of those could land on you doesn't matter who's behind it and and it could button you and and be a really tough one so i i kind of took them all seriously and made sure that i was just my adrenaline just jacked by like pure desperation every single time or i thought you'd just uh you'd have a bad night but um so many guys i i remember starting fighting like when i i think it was one of my first couple years pro uh Francis Lessard and Dale Purinton, they were on the Hartford Wolf Pack. And like Dale Purinton, I think he's like, his head is like this big that his helmet didn't even fit him. He was this just monstrosity of a man. And I'm like 20 year old kid who's who fought in junior and stuff like six, seven, 10 times a, a year or whatever. So I kind of knew what it was, but like this isn't junior A, Alberta junior hockey league fighting another 17 year old anymore. Like these are big boys. And I scrapped those guys and uh and I handled myself just fine and I was like holy shit like I I actually could I could totally defend myself there I could put some pressure into him and I was I was right in that fight and I was scrapping and I was I'm fine and I I kind of had that realization that okay if I ever need to really go with somebody I can I feel like I can handle it now and that's where I got a little bit of confidence probably and and then my third year switching to forward, man, I was just running around hitting guys just because that's so fun. And then everyone was just coming after me to fight. And I was like, fuck, I'm not saying no to anybody. And so then I just started fighting. And then once guys are like, oh, that Rose Hill guy will will scrap the tough guys, then everyone's coming looking for you. And you're like, fuck. And then you're the only guy that can do that. So when you need to go do it for your team, you're like, well, fuck, I guess I'm going to go do that. No one else around here is. So you go take care of business. And then all of a sudden you got this reputation and it's halfway through the season and you fought 15 times and you're like, holy shit. Like, I guess I'm doing this now. And, and then all of a sudden it's just what, it's just what it is. With, with in that same conversation, I, I guess you could say with the, with the league now, uh, I personally think this season has been, like you could see a resurgence with the with the with the enforcer role. Uh, even I mean, obviously Flyers Pod uh, with Delorier and uh, McEwen. I mean, yeah, these guys. I mean, they're nowadays uh, Bash Brothers. Do you think? Do you think this is something that's going to stay with the with the league, or do you think it's just like a fluke with the season? It's hard to say, man, because I I agree with you. I was just wondering if I was like following certain Instagram accounts or something now that was making me feel like guys are fighting more. Um, but I think they are like, if, like, if, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, like that era, um, of the two thousands where I just felt like it just was like done and gone. And like, if anyone did fight, like even the announcers were like, well, what, are, what is this about? And it was just like, fuck, it's gone. And like, if it keeps on this trajectory, it, it, you'll never see it again. And, uh, I was kind of choked to watch cause there's so many penalties and everyone was so scared to get a penalty that you don't even want to like go talk to a guy or start a scrum. Cause Oh my God, if I'm on the penalty, we could lose on the power play. And it was just so detrimental to special teams. So um, no one was doing anything. And then I agree with you the last, I don't know, what is it? Maybe two years or two or three, you're getting these guys that are kind of heavies and they have a name for themselves and they can play in the league, but they're not going to play 15 minutes and, I don't know. It's just, it's just I, I agree with you. It's kind of come back a little bit and it's it's wicked. Like some of that stuff in the intro that you guys play there, I was all jacked up about. I mean, it's starting to look that way again, right? Well, it's almost, uh, you know, can we say maybe one good thing came out of that COVID season two years ago? You know, you had the same team playing each other sometimes four nights in a row. 
you know, I know Bruins played Philadelphia eight times that year. It was always so maybe that hatred is starting to come back in the league. And, you know, Montreal's got that kid. They call him Wi-Fi. He's a fighter. Tanner yeah. Janot over there in Nashville. Like, you're starting to see the sand and the grit come back in the game. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah, it's nice. Like, uh, a good buddy of mine, Luke Shen, who's in Vancouver right now. And yeah. he was having a tough go there a few years back. Like, uh, that 2019, 20, yeah, around that area. era, And he didn't know you know, how long he's going to last in the league, how soft the league had gotten, what they value anymore. And then all of a sudden, like, he just keeps playing tough and strong and banging bodies. And then if anyone needs to be dealt with, all of a sudden he's the guy to do it because you don't have, like, a Colt Nor beside him. And then he's doing that. And uh, and then all of a sudden, like, it's working for him and they're valuing that all of a sudden. And now he's, like, signing more and more contract after contract, playing year after year, and kind of reestablished himself as this this big, needed, tough, strong um, veteran defenseman, which is wicked, right? Because I, I love that shit. And you, they used to they used to escort those guys out of the league, and it was it was shitty. They because just because they'd bring in some new college kid they want to try, and it was getting softer and softer. And I, I love the way it's turning back a little bit. I'd I'd love to see it to go back to like mid nineties, but I mean that's pretty wishful thinking. I don't think I don't think the, the kids coming up are, are going to be able to. The Jakai kid, I, I'm I'm interested in him. He actually ended up going up with. Uh, Toe to toe with Shen the other night, and you I know, fuck, I know, dude. I and and he like slipped or fell or went down quick or what? It was like I was kind of happy because that kid, I like when they when he, it was a preseason and they're talking about Jack Eye, and I was like, they're talking about how tough he is and stuff, and I'm like, okay, well, like, what does that mean these days, right? And I went and watched a couple of junior tilts of his, and holy fuck, he was a big boy in that <laughs> OHL or whatever it was. I think it was the O, not the Q. He was like killing guys and throwing hard. And then he's had a couple big ones. Who did he crush here at the beginning of the year? He made, oh, uh, uh, Cassian. Cassian. He made him look like a child, man. I was like, oh, fuck. I remember thinking, Luki, if you ever go with him again, I hope you just throw your lights out as hard as you can and get him on his ass. And luckily that's what happened. But, uh, I, I I got my eye on him too. I want to see, I want to see him go some like Revo's and, Delorier's and shit. I don't know if he's ready or not, but he I want to see Delorier it. A couple games when we played Montreal. Did they square up? Oh yeah. No shit. I gotta go watch that. I missed yeah, it. See, I gotta that. be on Twitter more. I'm not dedicated enough to this it, thing. It was more like a. I, I love the kid. I love the enforcers are my favorite. That's just how my dad was a roofer. You know, I'm as blue collar as they come. So like, I love the enforcers. It means everything. People are putting their their lives on the line for their teammates. This kid, someone coming up like that is just like you know. Trent Frederick did it uh, for Boston. He's he's another one, but um, yeah, it didn't it didn't work out for him for against Delorier. But it, but he doesn't care. It, it, yeah. It's it's you know it's respected. So I um, love it. If we go check that out, let's, let's I definitely got to go watch that. I've been waiting for him to go someone like that. Jay, you mentioned a little while ago the name Colton Orr. It's actually one of the things I have written down. Uh, just talk about him as a teammate, and you know, did you pick up any tips from him? Because here's a guy. I remember him in Providence, just always yeah. throwing bombs, went to the Bruins, same thing. But, you know, you guys were teammates in Toronto. Yeah, throwing bombs is right, man. That guy's – he just did one thing. He leaned back and cocked his right hand and threw it at your chin as hard as he could, and that's all he did. And he landed that all the time and was crushing guys. He'd crush his hand too. Like you should see his hand. It's it's like got stuff sticking out everywhere. And in Toronto, there was an x-ray of his hand on the trainers, uh, like you put on the bulletin board or whatever. And it, I mean, there's pins and plates and disjointed stuff going all over the place on that hand. And I mean, he just 
he was a tough guy. I remember him in New York and Boston and, and then to sign with Toronto and, and him being there, I, you know, I had, you know, that year I had fought like 35 times. So like it, it was no, um, no, uh, what the hell am I trying to say? It was no, <laughs> it was obvious why I was there. Um, no one was surprised on why I was coming there. So I was wondering what Orzi would think about that. Cause he'd signed a longer ticket and he was the definite heavyweight and everything. And, uh, I, as soon as I got there, he's like, Hey man, like looking forward to playing with you and let's do that and this and that. And, you know, we'll take care of each other. And, you know, if someone had a bad shoulder, you'd, you'd go after practice and kind of yank him around and just see what he's able to do. Maybe he's able to push and not pull or whatever. And you'd, you'd help each other out. And he was, he was really wicked with me. And, uh, cause he could have been a dick and been like, who's this guy here? And why does he think he needs to be here? And, and whatever else he wasn't that way at all. So it was nice to step into the league and, and have him there too. And, you know, when LaRock and stuff like that coming around, it's nice too that I don't have to take everything on my plate all at once because obviously Orzi would have handle all the big boys for, for a long time there. So were you in Toronto when Burke was running the team as well? Yeah, so he so had he gotten there. He loved and, all the muscle then. Oh, he was awesome, man. That was like, that was the truculence and pugnacity um, news uh, news conference that he had that everyone still plays to this day. And he got a bunch of those guys and... um he wanted it. And I remember, yeah, I was saying on a, I think that pod the other day that, uh, I was there at training camp when I'd first got there and I'm waiting for a guy to get off the box, the bike to do like fitness testing or whatever. And, um, I just felt this presence behind me and I kind of looked back and Brian Burke standing there and, and he doesn't even look at me. He just keeps looking forward, watching the guy on the bike. And he's like, this is your kind of team, Rosie. This is your kind of team this year. Like, Hey, I want you here. Like, show me something. So then I went out and just fought like every game in the preseason and just made the team out of training camp and, um, you know, just gave them what they were wanting at that point in time, which was pretty wicked because I, I respect the hell out of Brian Burke. He's a, he's a wicked guy. With, uh, with, with the Maple Leafs, you got any, uh, got any Phil Kessel stories? Any funny Phil Kessel stories? <laughs> everyone <laughs> asks, everyone asks that man. Fuck. He's, uh. He's quite the dude, man. Is just man. He loves to just kind of complain and mope around and drag his feet. And what the fuck are we doing this for? And just blah blah blah. But then he's like, guys like to be around him, and he's a good dude. And uh, I just remember walking through. We had to go somewhere. We're walking through like Dundas Square, like one of the busiest parts in Toronto. And I'm walking to wherever we were going, and Phil's with me, and he's like in like. He's in flip-flops and socks and like uh, ripped up kind of sweats in a hoodie and this toque. And he's walking, dragging his feet, hardly picking up his feet, walking through it. I'm looking around. I'm going, you look like that fucking homeless guy that's laying <laughs> down on the vent right now. And everyone's walking by you and they don't know that he's like this $8 million NHL all-star. <laughs> you know, it's just too fucking funny. And he's just, he's a character, man. I think that's why everyone asks for stories about him because he's... He's such a unique dude, but he's he's a good guy. Uh, were you in Toronto with Joffrey Lupul was there? I was, yeah. Any good uh, off-the-ice stories you may be able to share about Loops? Oh, not really. I don't know. No. Nobody nobody loves Loops more than Loops. I uh <laughs> I'm kind of pissed at him. When I got when I got traded to uh to Philly, um, we played Toronto and I had gone to kind of hit Lupo in the corner and I think Adam Hall who was on my line hit him at the same time and kind of we he got hit into each other or whatever right and he's a mush head and he goes down and he's out again with the concussion or some shit as if that's my fault 
And then he says in the media, like, I can't be taken out by a player of that caliber or something like that. I'm like, I was a teammate of yours. You acted like you were like buddies with me. And then you take a shot at me in the media because I body checked you and you're soft as shit. So I don't know. I don't have much time for Joffrey Lupo, obviously. <laughs> All right. Then let's, uh, we'll change the subject on that one. <laughs> uh, well, Get the, we'll, we'll go into the Philly locker room then. Uh, yeah, let's make the jump. The big, yeah, the biggest, uh, I feel like the probably one of the most, and I will say this, and I will die on this hill, probably the, the most emotional trade um, recently was when Wayne Simmons left um, and you were you played with Wayne. Um, how was he in the locker room? He was a big leader. He's a big voice in the locker room, right? Yeah, for sure. When, when Wayne talks, you know, guys listen and, the reason for that is just the way he plays, man. He's, uh, again, he's one of those guys who didn't have to play as tough as he did, but just did it anyways. And and guys just respected him. He would go into the dirty spots and, and dig and get in that net front. He'd fight big boys and do really well against them. Guys were scared of him. And, uh, and he was just a solid guy. Like we lived in the same building in Philly there the one year. And so we ended up driving to the rink every single day together. And, uh, yeah, he's just a guy that cares and, and, and played hockey the right way. And all the guys in the locker room, obviously, um, totally liked him and respected him for that. And yeah, he's in Toronto now. And I just really, I don't know. I wish that he could find a way to stay in that lineup and whatnot. It, it's kind of crazy to me that, that, that Wayne Simmons can't play on the fourth line of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that with his skill set and his ability and his defensive awareness and his expertise and his leadership, man, like for the fourth line role, I mean, you only got to play them how many minutes a night. I just, it's, it's tough because I see, I know how good that of a hockey player that guy is and, and how good he is in the locker room. And I know they did everything to keep him around, but I just want to find a way for him to stay on that roster right now. Cause of all those things, uh, I think he's just an asset to having the, in that organization and to not use them is just seems crazy. Especially in the playoffs when they're grinds seven games, you know, it's, it's a long haul. Those series, you're going to have players going after Marner Matthews. Like you want a guy like Simmons out there. Yeah. And I think they're glad that he didn't get picked up on waivers because I want, I think they want him in their back pocket, right? It, it's, it's going to be hard to like not play him and then just throw him into the playoffs. The most important thing in the world. But, uh, you know, if if they can find a way to inject him into that lineup somehow, even in a limited role, I think that, like you say, come playoff time, if you can, if he's in there, it could prove pretty valuable in those big grindy series where every all the intensity is going through the roof and guys are taking liberties and it's just a war zone. You know, you could get in one of those in a hurry, especially in the first round when everyone's jacked up and uh, he'd be a good guy to have around for that kind of shit. Uh, playoff Wayne Simmons is a dangerous Wayne Simmons. That's for sure. Exactly. I, Wayne Simmons. I, I was hope honestly, when you went up, I was hoping the flyers would grab him. I mean, uh, I'm going to, going to maybe get your take on what you think is wrong with the flyers right now. But uh, I personally think it's, it's leadership. Um, but what do you, what do you, uh, any thoughts on them? If you're following them at all? Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, I've had my eye on them. I like to see what's going on and my time has been taken up obviously with the Maple Leafs and the, and the show we're doing, but, um, to see, I found it funny and like kind of odd that they, you know, when, when John Tortorella comes in, it, 
you know, quite a while ago, like when he left Vancouver, I said to myself, he'll, he won't coach in the NHL again. He's too, he's too strong willed. He's too intense. He's too mean. And these, these new players do not respond to it. This younger generation does not respond to that. They absolutely fold and go into a shell when you give them, you know, that tough love. And lo and behold, he gets another job and he gets another job and he stayed in the league for years and years after and good on him. And I believe he is, you know, adapted to the, to the new type of player and adapted his, his coaching style is, is what it sounds like to me. And, um, I thought that if anything, they were going to kind of have a rough start being some younger players. And like you said, not that big veteran presence. And they're kind of a, a young group of, of guys. I mean, the only guy wearing a letter is Scott Lawton. And I mean, I love Scott. He played with him several times for several years and great dude. And I still think of him kind of as like a little brother. Cause I was older on the team when he was kind of younger, but that's becoming a while ago now. And he's like a, a 10 year veteran almost, you know? So um, he is kind of that older guy, which tells me that that whole team is quite young. And I thought they'd struggle at the beginning, but they go and light it up in the beginning. And I thought they'd be scared of uh torts to start off. And then they'd understand that he's, you know, got all the things in place for a reason and they'd warm up to him in a way they'd go, but it's gone the opposite way. And, you know, they haven't had the best luck with injuries. And, um, like you say, leadership could be an issue. I just don't think they have all the, the pieces, in place right now to actually compete at that top tier in the NHL. I think that's, you know, that's a process that every team goes through, especially in the salary cap era, when you got to kind of rebuild and you lose guys you weren't planning on. It's, it's not easy. Why, you know, you mentioned injuries, but especially with this year's team, I feel like it's been, you know, a common theme with the Flyers the last couple of years. You see like Boston, Marshan, McAvoy come back way ahead of schedule when they were supposed to this season, other teams get players back. You know, is there an issue with the medical staff with this team? Because, again, this isn't just the first year where injuries have been, you know, an issue for the team. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I I can't imagine it is. I mean, they're not a cheap team and they they have money and they they're they're willing to invest it in their team and they want to win. And I can't imagine that if they needed to go find a specialist from New York that they wouldn't do that. Um, luckily, I wasn't really injured ever in Philly. Um, I just dealt with the training staff and didn't have to really have the doctors and surgeons and stuff like that. But I just, it's, I can't speak to it cause I haven't done it, but I just can't imagine in that league that, um, you know, you'd be having half-assed doctors working on these million dollar players. I just, I just don't see it. And it wouldn't be in the flyers benefit to, to do anything, but give these guys the best. I mean, that's their money and their investment sitting on the training table, not playing while you're losing games. I mean, every team wants their guys back as fast as possible but but like you say I, i'm not there and and it's a pattern that you keep seeing and it seems to be like constant in philadelphia and other cities teams seem to be able to do the opposite but uh i don't know i wouldn't be comfortable pointing the finger at any doctors right now but i'm sure the fans are are wondering like why the hell can't we get some of these good breaks you know well i mean it's there's also a lot of like um signs of, of odd odd occurrences happening and uh i'm in the press box i'm on press for the flyers so okay, like cool. um i have a little i'm very new this is my second year but like yeah. I, have, I get a couple things but um we've noticed you know some little things just like you know cam atkinson isn't practicing with the team but then he's 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 seen on the ice practicing with the team in columbus so then like huh. you know obviously people are like you know and it's weird that no one else really not trying to toot our own horn or pump our own tires up, but like no one else has really talked about that besides us. 
and huh. everyone ignores it, which might be a bad sign. But um, uh, it's just it's the Philly curse. It's it's the Philly curse. So I mean, well, looking back at players, I mean, I do remember like when I got there, when I got traded there, they were banged up, and there were guys with surgeries and rehabs out the ass, and so many guys that I can think of, uh, you know, had these you know detrimental injuries that like you know shortened their careers and ended seasons and cost contracts and like crazy things and it does seem to be a bit of a bad luck bad luck with the flyers and and injuries now that i really think about it you know um i got one for you going back to that 2014 team and you know a little bit beforehand how was claude Giroux as the captain in the locker room and just you know the way he carried himself yeah he's good shit man he uh i mean he, he was kind of a young captain, right? But, um, you know, he worked so hard and, and was, you know, so focused on, on what he did that, uh, that, you know, I, I, I didn't question the leadership. Um, you know, was he in, is easy, is easy, is it easy to step into Chris Pronger's shoes right away and, and be the exact same leader as him? Like not for anybody. Um, but they, uh, it was a young team and we were, we were a tight team. We liked hanging out and laughing and we wanted to win together and we were, were serious and it just, it didn't translate on to the ice as well as it could have. But, um, you know, G was one of the best players I've ever played with. Um, the stuff he would do when he turned it on was just like, fuck, are you just better than everybody else? You know, he was just a wicked player and cool to see him doing well in his hometown in Ottawa right now. And, and playing at a high level, but no, he was uh, he was definitely like the face of the Flyers for a while there for good reason. Just for people uh, listening, uh, yeah, the Flyers lost four to one to the Capitals. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, just, just, just anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, move. On. This is something that I really wanted to talk to you about, um, and I have I have the logo here because I think it's literally the fucking coolest. I am Scottish, so um, cool. It- this logo is probably one of the coolest logos <laughs> I've ever seen. And, the Glasgow uh, clan. It is I, sick. I have so many. I, actually, it, it had to be amazing. How was it playing over there? How's And the fact that there's a, a, a hockey team. I mean, I may just be ignorant to the fact of not knowing, but I mean, a, a hockey in Scot- Scotland. Yeah, so it's like... It's all of the UK, so that's Northern Ireland, um, Scotland, England, and Wales. Um, so you're tuning around that. That's like that whole country is the league, and you're going from, you know, Edinburgh, Scotland, Glasgow, down to Cardiff and Manchester. Um, you go over to Belfast and play in Ireland, um, and it is it is cool, man. Like uh, you're allowed to have like 14 Canadians on the team, so there are all these ex pros and ex um, like college players and whatnot. And um, more and more as as the years went on, the league just keeps getting getting better and better, and they're able to play pay or pay players more and more. And you know that brought in better talent, and the league just kept getting better and better from what you know I could tell and. Um, it was just kind of the end of my time in North America. Like it was that era that we were talking about where like that fighter is dead. And I knew I was never getting back to the NHL and I kind of had accepted that. So I'm like, well, what am I grinding for 82 games a year here for riding the bus and shit? Why don't I go do something that, you know, is, is new and exciting and a new challenge or whatever. And, um, looked around a little bit and just had the coach in, in Glasgow contact me and say, I, you know, I want you to come here. I want you to be our captain. I want you to. Um, you know, play a lot of minutes. I want you on the first 
one or two lines. I want you on the power play net front. I don't care if you fight a single time all year. I don't care if you fight 10 times. I, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not looking for that out of you. I need your experience and your leadership. And I want you to, I want to, I want to play it. And I was like, well, fuck, that sounds like a, a big breath of fresh air compared to what I was used to. So, um, you know, talked to my wife about it and I had, uh, you know, really young family, two boys, and we, we cruised over there and just, we had a blast. Like, as soon as I got there, it's like I hadn't been to any part of, of Europe or, or the UK or anything before. And I was walking down the street in Glasgow and I'm like, fuck, look at that building. And there's a Scottish guy with me on the team. And I'm like, like, how old is that? And he looks at me and goes, how the fuck would I know? <laughs> like, This just isn't interesting to them. But like the oldest building I'd seen is like 150 years old. And that thing's from like, who knows, the 1600s or something. So I just, I like that history and that old school mentality and the Scottish people like to have a drink and they like their hockey and filled that barn up and were loud. So we'd always go to the pub after and I'm like a golf fanatic. So to go to Scotland, like the home of golf and I was touring all those courses and like spending an hour in their, in their clubhouses, reading all the stuff. And then I'd play the course, the thing I'd seen on TV a million times from this open championship or that one. And this is where Jack Nicholas and just totally nerd out on golf. And like, there's no better place you can do that than Scotland. And, uh, and just, yeah, I went over there and had a blast and could kind of like relax and not play with so much stress and, and be a guy that's looked to for, other things and just a breath of fresh air, man. And, uh, you know, my family had a blast too. So it was really like just a wicked way to end my career. And I didn't get cut from a team or I didn't not sign a contract one summer, or I didn't get injured and blow up my back or my knee or something. And then all of a sudden that's it for hockey and you lose, or you, you end your career that way. I just think it would be tough doing that. And that's usually the way it goes. And I was just lucky enough to be able to, to go do something fun like that. And then to say, this is my last year I've decided and then color quits on my own terms was something I always kind of valued that I was able to do. Yeah, that's great. I, I feel like every athlete, they want to be able to, you know, end on their own terms, but totally. Jay, do, do, you, do you think the coach over there saw the spinorama goal with the filthy hands in Boston that you had? <laughs> and that's why he had to get you for the first line on Tuca. How uh, run me through that goal. Cause I saw her live and I was like, Holy shit. Like that was incredible. I don't care if it's you or to, you know, Drew or whoever, like, in tight like that again like you said on Tuca you just stuffed it home I think it was a definition of what happened I blacked out but um I <laughs> like what that's Wayne Simmons's move I mean he's net front power play he'd get it on the side and spinner and stuff it and I don't know man in that league like early on I learned like you're gonna be pasted to the fucking bench or in the press box more than you already are. If you're trying to do something fancy, or if you're trying to hold on to the puck too long, or you know, we put you out there this shift because we need the puck deep. We need some bodies banged. We need a momentum change. We need to get them on their heels, and then we need to, you know, we need that reset. Maybe we need you to fight. Maybe like we need something in the game right now. That's why you're out there. So if I start trying to like do a little toey and snap one far side, fucking waist white, waist high sauce, like sit down we have Claude Giroux to do that we don't need fucking you doing that so it was always like grip your stick tight and like just get it deep don't make mistakes if you turn it over you know your night's done so I'm just used to playing you know pretty tight and you're not trying anything and I don't know what came over me there I just felt like I snuck back there and as the puck was coming I was just thinking like simmer on the power play and just tried it and it went in and of course it's that dickhead Jack whatever his name <laughs> Jack is just, just chirping me <laughs> 
Did you hear him chirping Pat Maroon the other night? Yeah, and then he almost gets himself canceled because yeah. Patty pulls the old <laughs> mental health card or whatever. Holy fuck. That blew up in his face, but it's about time that guy's kind of a, a donkey. <laughs> Go on. What else do you know about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, the way you were describing the way you played in the NHL is like me and Beer League, though. It's just like, holy shit. Heart racing. As soon as the puck comes to me, I'm like, ah, just fucking dump it and get off. I know. Sometimes I just feel like I'm such a pigeon, and then I'm like, it's a pretty good league, man. You don't have to yeah. feel that bad about squeezing your stick. It's going pretty fast out there. Just what is a day in the NHL play as an NHL player like? Like, it's a game night. You wake up. Do you take a nap? Do you just walk into the rink like, wow, like I'm in the greatest hockey league? Yeah, it's 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 something like, especially when you're on the road, is when I notice because. Um, you get to these hotels and there's these buses and you get a police escort and there's guardrails so people can't get to you and people are waiting to take a picture or have you sign something and it's just then you get on this private jet and fly around and the stewardesses are bringing you steak and pouring your drinks and then you go to the fanciest restaurant in fucking town and you don't even want to know the the bill that it is for our team to go out and eat and it's just like where am i right now it's just so surreal right and um it's kind of the the special like privileged part of playing in that league and, and rightfully so. I mean, you made it there and everyone's trying and only a few can. So there's a reason why guys want to get there. And um, it's more than just, you know, you're playing in front of all those people. It's kind of a whole a whole behind the scenes things. And you're are you spoiled as hell? Yes. Should you be carrying your own bags but never do? Yes, it is what it is. But it's the show, man. And they call it that for a reason. And yeah, I just savored every minute of it, dude, and said, how how did I end up here? And I didn't take it for granted. I, I I was I was too much that way. I wish I could have stopped being like, man, savor this and appreciate this. And you know, you know, this is such a privilege. And I like I almost put it on such a pedestal that I wouldn't allow myself to like get too comfortable there, which I think in the end isn't probably the way to go about being there and staying there and, and getting better there. But um, like you said, it's people ask that question. I love to to talk about it because it's like no one ever talked about that before I was there. I was like, why don't guys like I guess there's no access with podcasts and social media and stuff like that. And it's kind of like hush, hush. No one can see what happens in the locker room and, and all that stuff. But I mean, now that I'm not there or whatever, I'm happy to like talk about the perks and the cool stuff that happens. And um, it's just, yeah, it was some, some pretty wicked, pretty wicked years. And if you get to do it at all, you're, you're lucky. So I consider myself lucky to have played in that league. It's, it's a, a league in its own for sure. Yeah, the uh, last thing I have for you, because, you know, we're getting to that time. Um, there's a lot of traditions that come with uh, with the NHL and such. And, and uh, like, the, you hear about it on the pods. I listen to all the all the, the heavy hitter podcasts and uh, the credit card game. Um, like, the rookies, uh, what was it, hitting the bar with the vets to get to know each other, like, team bonding and such. And you're hearing a lot of that. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I heard this on, on another one. That said, uh, you have to wear your your helmet during pregame skate now, and these tra- and that's a tradition in itself. Where your kids that they can take their helmet off and you know do their thing. Uh, these traditions are like dying. Uh, it, that that's that's really I feel like that's really important. Would you think that, that those types of things are something that should be happening still with the league, or do you think it's okay for them to die off? Or oh no, of course, of course, I hate it. I hate everything about that stuff. It's we got to change everything just because for the reason of changing stuff and. It's like no different than like 
the pond I just got off me and my buddies behind his house, we just shoveled it off so that kids can skate on the rink. And for the longest time we were like, weren't allowed to skate on it because it was dangerous. And it's like, we're grown men. We can tell when the ice is a foot deep. And you, are you seriously going to tell me that these kids can't skate on a goddamn pond? You, you're just making up a rule for the sake of doing it. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. Like they got to change it. And oh, guys have been wearing no bucket warm up for since the beginning of time. And it's kind of this tradition where if you got some veteran status and you're just out there to warm up the legs, you can snap it around with no bucket on. It's just a fucking cool thing, man. Like the cool, it's like one of those, it's just one of those things that's like, unlike any other, like, what is that all about? Like people who'd never seen hockey be like, how come some guys have it on and some guys don't? And it's like, cause it's fucking cool. And it's just what they do. <laughs> and now it, so I saw that on, on a podcast earlier. And is that a new rule where no one's allowed to go no bucket warm you? I, I'm pretty sure I heard Shane O'Brien and Scotty Offshaw talk That's about it. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And, and Obi was pissed off about it. Me too. Like I get like, there was an unwritten rule forever. Forever. No one, anyone could do it. It didn't matter who there's no rule in the league at all. But if you're like a rookie or you're a first time player, you're kind of a skilled guy, you'd kind of wear your helmet and warm up. Right. And then the veteran guys or the tougher guys or the whatever guys kind of do it. And then once you get comfortable and get your place and whatever the hell else, then you kind of can shed your bucket and warm up. It was just kind of a hierarchy respect thing. I don't know how, how to put it into words, but, uh, you know, inevitably something happened. Like when Taylor Hall got stepped on and yeah, his head got cut open, I'm like, fuck, there goes no bucky warm up, man. But I think it was just his team said no more and the rest of the league could, but I don't know. It's an inevitable that they're going to take cool stuff away because they want everyone just bubble wrapped up and lawyers not to get involved. And I don't know. It's kind of sad if you ask me. I hope it's not true, but it's just, I don't know. To someone that would argue, they don't need to have their, they need to, there's no reason to not have your helmet on. It's ridiculous. You could get hit in the head. It's like, yeah, but they want to. Like, don't tell them what to do. They, they, you can fucking wear your helmet if you want. Yes, every once in a while, a guy's going to get a puck and get some stitches in the head. It's not a big fucking deal. Like, leave it alone. But I don't know. Way of the world, I guess, boys. You got me ranting on every other question here. <laughs> That's great. Um, That's why people tune in. They want to hear you. There you go. Yep. Hey, you got anything else, Anthony? Or? No, man. That's that's everything I got. And I appreciate you, Jay, for coming on. So, Well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, too. And make sure everyone... uh Last order of business, make sure you go like us on Facebook at Flyers Alley, on Twitter at Flyers Alley Pod 1, Instagram at Flyers Alley, and now the YouTube page for Old City Sports Network. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Hopefully it won't be the last time. Um, trying to get Obi on. My, I, the other show is the one I was talking to you on. Uh, oh, yeah. League-wide uh, center ice. I just started that up the other day. I'm, uh, yeah, you guys are confusing. You got like three things going on. I didn't even know what I was coming on. Yeah, we got a lot of things going on over here, but... uh. That's yeah that's awesome well i appreciate you guys are kicking ass and uh thanks for having me on and yeah if uh if people listening want to hit me up on twitter i'm brand new so take it easy on me be nice jesus <laughs> all right man thanks a lot and with that being said uh that was our episode of flyers alley we'll see you guys on sunday hopefully thank you for downloading this week's episode you can support us at flyers alley every time you shop for fan gear and collectibles at Fanatics, just visit www.oldcitysports.com and click on the Fanatics logo. Then shop as planned as we'll get commission on your sale. That will help us a ton. Next time you're going to shop, 
and fanatics, just visit www.oldcitysports.com slash fanatics and support our podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody.